Acts 2, 38-39, we read, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, every one whom the Lord our God calls to him. Hi, my name is Dan Dick, and welcome to Church Matters. On the Christian calendar at this time of the year, the church is engaged in the season of Lent, a time of prayer, penance, repentance of sins, and sacrifice as the faithful prepare to honor the death and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today we are focusing on repentance and exploring how Christians can make repentance meaningful in the context of the church's relationship with Indigenous peoples. Joining me in the studio today is the Right Reverend Bishop Mark MacDonald, National Anglican Indigenous Bishop. Bishop Mark was born in 1954, the son of Blake and Sue Nell MacDonald. His list of accomplishments is long, but here's a brief version. He became the Anglican Church of Canada's first National Indigenous Bishop in 2007. He holds a BA in Religious Studies and Psychology from the College of St. Scholastica in Duluth, Minnesota, an MA in Divinity from Wycliffe College, and he did postgraduate work at Luther Northwestern Theological Seminary in Minneapolis. Mark was also the Bishop of Alaska from 1997 to 2007. He and his wife, Virginia, have three children. Welcome to Church Matters, Mark. Thank you. Mark, tell us a bit about who you are and what has shaped you. Well, I was born across the border in Minnesota, I, I grew up in uh, mostly in Duluth, but all over the place. Uh, my uh, f- family, on both sides of the family, both have uh, uh, indigenous ancestry and also uh, connection and work with uh, with uh, indigenous peoples going back a long way, specifically and, and most particularly with Ojibwe people. And, and since that time, uh, I uh, went to seminary and almost immediately I started working in indigenous communities because of my close affinity. Uh, with them, and I would say that uh, that has shaped my life most uh, dramatically, most completely, uh, being able to hear the gospel uh, through the the minds and hearts of our elders is really uh, uh, for me a second conversion. How did you become the national Anglican indigenous bishop? Well, uh, th- there was a committee drafted to try to uh, put into uh, uh, reality, this dream that the, the elders had uh, in eight, the 1850s uh, when one of our uh, Cree missionaries said, we'll never really uh, be able to do this unless we have control over our own uh, program. Uh, the, the, the larger church couldn't culturally understand or, or work with them. So uh, the elders, particularly back in the 60s, uh, all over Canada began to, to advocate for this. Um, they said we need a bishop to, uh, to, to symbolize our unique relationship to Canada and at the same time uh, to speak for us. Um, I was uh, one of the people that they interviewed for this because of, of my, uh, I, my, I was related to a lot of folks here uh, in a number of different ways. And uh, then I was chosen uh, to be this in this first job. I've been at it now for seven years, and uh, it's been interesting. We're breaking trail, so it's difficult. 
Paint a picture for our listeners of what a national Anglican indigenous bishop does. Our, our elders shaped the discussion in this way. They said, we want someone to speak for us. We want someone to interpret the larger church back to us. Uh, we want someone who will act as a kind of midwife for a self-determining indigenous church within uh, our larger group. We want uh, someone who will also um, uh, speak for Mother Earth because of the, the direct and uh, uh, living relationship between the indigenous people and the land. And uh, all of these things um, uh, became clear uh, over, over, over time, um, uh, and they have shaped what, what I've done now. So I have a, a, a relationship as a bishop to uh, 225 congregations and a number of urban uh, uh, um, congregations and fellowships who are also under another bishop in generally, not, not always, but generally. Uh, so uh, we have kind of a, it's, it's an unusual for Anglican uh, situation for uh, indigenous congregations basically have two bishops, and I'm one of them. We are in the middle of March right now, which is the Christian season of Lent. Are there parallels to Lent in indigenous spiritual traditions? Oh, yes. I think that uh, uh, specifically uh, fasting and prayer, uh, seasons of dedication, of uh, seasons of seeking, um, they uh, have deep resonance with, within our folks. And uh, I've found in every community I've ser served, Lent uh, is a particularly welcome time, a time of prayer. Uh, you know, back home we would do uh, um, hymn singing till all hours in the morning. Uh, once a week we would do that. Um, so th the, the rhythm of it seems to speak to uh, indigenous people at a deeper level, I think, than it does to the, to, the, to the broader public, even though I see more and more evidence that it's speaking to the broader public as well. One of the main aspects of Lent is a time of repentance. Repentance can be a difficult task. We humans don't really like to admit when we're wrong, and it's something we don't really like to talk about much. Why do you think that is? I, I, I think fundamentally it's a, it's a, it's a misunderstanding, um, a misunderstanding of, of the gospel's relationship to repentance, and I, I think people mishear it. Um, one of the gifts that Jesus gave the world was repentance, the, the opportunity for a new start, the opportunity for a new life, an opportunity to put behind the things that we hate about ourselves or about our situation. I think framed in that way, which I think is the way Jesus framed it, um, uh, repentance is one of the greatest gifts God has given uh, to, to creation. And, but I, I think that we, we are focused on um, uh, feeling bad about who we are, uh, feeling bad about our sins, which are a tool in repentance, but that's not the, the beginning or the end of repentance. So guilt plays the characteristic role of, of how we feel in time of repentance, but that's not the key. No, and it's, 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 it's not the horizon that God has for repentance. That's not, the, 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 you know, new life is the horizon, uh, freedom is the horizon. That's, the, that's, that's what repentance is all about. It is to be seen as a gift and not as a burden. 
Are there parallels and differences in the basic elements of repentance in the Christian and indigenous traditions? Yeah, I think that most of our elders would say yes. I would. I would. I think that um, most of our Christian elders would say that um, there's some clarification uh, on the idea of repentance in the um, in the Christian message. But I, I would also say that they would say that these elements are not uh, at all foreign. Uh, there's many many stories uh, from from the pre-contact days that speak powerfully about what repentance is and uh, what, what sacrifice is, what it means. And uh, I think today I would say those stories illuminate for indigenous Christians uh, a, a deeper sense, a broader sense of what repentance means in terms of their Christian faith. Do you have a brief story like that to share? Sure. Uh, uh, we, we particularly love the season of strawberries. It's, it's said that, the, that uh, one time long ago that the people were uh, suffering from plague. They had violated the great law of life, which is that um, all life is responsible to the rest of life. They had become greedy and, and had misused and wasted creation. Um, and this young man died, and he went to to the next world, to the spirit world. He approached Gichimanado, our God, and said, uh, why are you letting this happen? And he, God explained that the people had violated the law of life. It was the consequence of their behavior. And he said, is there nothing that can be done? And God said, well, um, really no, but but if someone were to go back and to to proclaim this message, if, if the people were touched in their hearts, and if this person then uh, uh, suffered and, and died on behalf of the people, then perhaps they would have the capacity to turn this around, to make it new. So he went back. He said, he's, well, first of all, he said to God, I will do that. I love the people so much. I will do that. So he went back and he proclaimed it. And then the people, helpless and heartbroken, saw him suffer and die of the same plague that everyone had. Um, they were so grief-stricken that God, in compassion, uh, sent the, um, the young man's heart, Odeiman in, in Ojibwe, uh, the, 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 the strawberry, um, which is the name word for heart and strawberry, a gift each year to remind themselves of the sweetness of that young man's sacrifice and also uh, to, to remind them of their need to follow the law of life to sacrifice and love for each other, and to turn their lives over to God, especially when they commit uh, uh, wrongdoing. So this story, I think, uh, uh, illustrates so much. Uh, it's it's a pre prefiguration of the gospel and of Christ's death and resurrection. So uh, it's very special to us, very unique uh, um, to us, and 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 treasured. Wow, there's just a lot of imagery that really resonates with the uh, the Christian story there. Absolutely, absolutely. Repentance can be an act uh, with profound consequences. Do you have a personal experience of repentance that you just can't shake? Well, I think all of us do. I think uh, for me, uh, I, I, I think one of the great privileges of being a minister, uh, to, of being trusted uh, into the lives of people is that we see people at their at their at their deepest. For me, um, seeing in others, experiencing in myself, that moment when you realize that you have become what you hated, that you have uh, 
not been able to free yourself from the systems and the ways of thinking that you so much hated, that, that abused you when you were a child, or that, that uh, you swore that you would never do. It's that moment when the father, the mother, the grandparent realizes that they have hurt someone who is precious to them, uh, hurt, someone, hurt someone that they love so much. When At that moment, when they are touched with the reality of what they have become, uh, that moment is, is a sacred moment, I think. And people either go <laughs> to the dark side or they go to the light. And when they go to the light, it is such a moment of freedom. Uh, yes, you feel the pain of what you've done, but you feel the, the power and grace and love of God, not only of God's love, but also oftentimes of the love of your family as they, they receive you. Um, I think that uh, these things, which I've seen over and over again, particularly in the very difficult lives of, of, our, of our folks, of our indigenous peoples, uh, th th these are the, this sort of thing, which I've seen so many times, uh, speaks so powerfully to me of uh, the gospel and of what repentance is. Many say that the Christian church has proclaimed, and with some arrogance, the superiority of its beliefs with the intent of forcefully dominating others and holding little regard for the beliefs and spiritual traditions of indigenous peoples. Justice Murray Sinclair, the Commissioner of Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, has asked this question. Is it possible for the churches to make a statement that Aboriginal spirituality is just as valid as Christianity? Are those hard words to hear as an Indigenous person who represents a high office of the Christian church? And in this context, what do Christians do with the command to go and make disciples of all nations? Well, that's a, that's a very important question, and it has a number of aspects to it. I would say that those words are not hard to hear for me because I see myself and the role that I play as, as from the elders is uh, uh, not one of defending the institution, an institution which in my mind cannot be defended, um, uh, but of seeking out a new relationship based on that kind of respect, that kind of understanding so uh, to me, his words are, are as, 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 as they virtually always are, um, his words are helpful in pointing to the direction. But I, I would say it's a direction that many of us in the church have already, uh, um, it's a conclusion that we already made. And I think that what we're called to do here is to make a distinction between the gospel and its power and what the institutions that sometimes carry it. And what we see here is, is I think, institutions that have failed at, 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 at a very deep level of carrying out the, the gospel uh, mandate of Christ. Um, and, um, but nevertheless, the gospel spoke to indigenous people. We see uh, a, a, a development of underground, hidden indigenous Christianity uh, that certainly in influenced me as, as, I, as I grew up. Um, and as I've learned more and more, um, that um, the church had a plan. <laughs> and the plan was really to get rid of indigenous people, to make them disappear. Um, 
And uh, God had a very different plan. And so many of us have found uh, the gospel, apart from its institutional um, manifestations, which often, in my mind, are, are a denial of, of the gospel, um, well, we, we have experienced the power and love of God, uh, not just in, in the gospel, but in the gospel in our identity. And that, that I, I think, is something that is, is not well-known, not well-perceived, and uh, not always well-received by the church. What words of counsel would you have for folks who continue to be challenged by a perceived dissonance between the command to go and make disciples of all people and reconciling that with Aboriginal spirituality? Well, I, I, would, I would look at the, the context that Jesus gave to those words. Um, in Luke chapter 10, uh, where he sends out uh, his, his first missionaries, um, what, they, uh, what they were asked to do was to thrust themselves into the hospitality of the other. When they, when they arrived there, they were supposed to say, God is near to you. Turn around and believe the good news. Um, they were to eat whatever those people ate. They were really to become a part of that life, to, to become the other. <laughs> um, that, to me, is the context of, of the Great Commission. We, however, have set up institutions, and we've said if you, want to be, if you want to be saved, you must become a part of our institution, either our way of thinking, our way of, our way of acting, or, or administratively a part of, of our institution. Uh, there's vis different ways that, that we have done this. I think that that's uh, contrary. I understand it, but I think it's contrary to the Great Commission as Jesus outlines it uh, in the Gospels. Uh, he wasn't saying, you know, create these uh, uh, communities that people will then, uh, th then join. He was saying, become community with these people and really unveil my presence uh, in their midst. It isn't, uh, um, it isn't bringing something to a zero without a rim. God didn't get off the boat with Columbus, you know. Um, uh, it's really beginning to understand how the Word of God uh, f uh, flows through history and through people's lives, understanding um, what it means that, that there is uh, something in our hearts, even before we ever hear the name Jesus, uh, that is God-touched and God-blessed. That, I think, is, is, is the heart of the Great Commission, and in many ways, the, the way it was approached by many Christians, maybe most, uh, from a Western perspective, uh, was the opposite of that. Um, it wasn't about accepting the hospitality of other people. It was about imposing our sense of hospitality, etiquette, and, and culture. Um, so instead of the word made flesh, it was the word freeze-dried, the idea that we'd bring it here and We'd add a little bit of water, and in, in an Anglican case, add a little water, and out comes a, an Englishman. You know, that's 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 the idea. Um, in fact, that that isn't that isn't God's plan. The idea is that uh, um, that that the Word of God takes shape in a community, so that you you can barely understand the 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 difference. I think culturally from the old and the new, but the, the but the power of the in, internal life. That's, that's, that's the strength. Seek first to understand. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is there a way forward for the church in reconciling Christian and indigenous beliefs as a body, as a community of believers? Yes, I, I think so. I, I think that there has to be a, a deeper understanding of what reconciliation is. Um, again, Justice Sinclair has asked the churches to talk about what reconciliation looks like. It, it seems to me that although the church has given a preliminary answer, that an organization that says it begins and ends in, in reconciliation should have a deeper uh, uh, answer, a more, a more ready answer than it has produced so far. I think that uh, part of the problem is that we are still s saying, how do indigenous people fit within our boundaries? And I think that we have to reframe that question. Uh, we have to, to say, um, the heart of who we are as Christians is a, re a reconciling people. How do we do that? Um, and if we're still sitting there deciding, well, are these people pagans or not? Are these people into witchcraft or not? If we're still saying, can I accept uh, this, that, or the other thing about them? I, I think that we, um, we, we will not understand uh, the depth. That the very question means that we have not understand the depth of the harm that has been done in the name of Christ, nor have we understood the power and horizon of what God would like us to be in relationship to, to indigenous peoples. And I, I can't think of anything more compelling for Christian people to come to grips with than this great problem, the, the reconciliation between the church and the people of the land. In the context of differing beliefs and the dominance of Christian faith in Canadian history, what would make the church's repentance meaningful in your eyes? Well, I think there's a, a lot of uh, things that need to be said. As, as I've said before, I think that um, the church is just entering into an awareness of what repentance might look like. I think it has a long way to go. Um, I think that uh, reconciliation is going to take uh, a difficult time. But, but I think that um, um, understanding the identity and authority of indigenous people, um, the authority of that identity within this, uh, this, this land that we live, um, I think that that is, is ultimately uh, the, 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 the goal. I think our elders originally, as Chief Elijah Harper always used to say, our, our, our elders had the goal of living together with mutual respect and to build a, a land that is great and welcoming and, and powerful, um, that this land can be that because of its beauty, its resources, and its people. I think that that's what it'll look like. Um, Certainly, that involves advocacy on the part of indigenous people, but ultimately, it's to live a goal uh, where there is mutual respect, where the people of the land and their borders, their identity, their reality um, receive the, the kind of respect that, that they deserve uh, from uh, churches and, and from the government of Canada. I think that short of that, anything short of that is, is morally theologically uh, unacceptable. 
You've given us lots to think about, Bishop Mark. Thanks so much for joining me in the studio today. My pleasure. You can join me again in just four weeks for another episode of Church Matters. We're here for you at 8.45 a.m. on the third Sunday of every month. We always welcome your feedback to the program, and we love to hear listener ideas for topics and themes you'd like us to cover. Wrap up your email with a shiny ribbon and dash it off to churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca. We also accept your phone calls and donations in support of this program at 1-866-888-6785 or you can visit mennonitechurch.ca and click on the donate link. I'm your host, Dan Dick. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here May the Lord go with you, the face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.